welcome back. This is episode two of um, SpongeBob Capitalist Pan. <laughs> As always, I'm Alyssa. I'm Alma. I'm Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a special guest today. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, y'all. My name is Miguel Flores. Um, recent grad from UC Santa Barbara. Um, shout out to Los Ingenieros. Nice. Okay. okay. I think that deserves that. <laughs> right so um you want to give us a rundown of episode two uh so essentially episode two was called reef blower um it involved squidward waking up in the morning realizing that uh there was a clam which symbolized a leaf uh, a disturbance you might say on his yard um so he decided to go ahead and um you know, eradicate that from his yard, push it, push it past into uh, SpongeBob's property. And it almost seems like SpongeBob chooses to um, take that out in a more SpongeBob-like way as he decides to, you know, grab a leaf blower that tends to have its repercussions later down the line for Squidward in a non-purposeful act by SpongeBob. Wow. As it turns out to be the usual case. <laughs> Nautical nonsense. Yeah, that's what they called it. Um, so what, what did you get out of it, Liz? Because well, I know you said you had a lot in your notes when it came to this episode. Or at well, least a question, right? Yeah. Before I get to that question, I just want to say there was no hat in the intro. Did y'all catch that? Oh, yeah, there yeah, was yeah, no there hat. Was oh, no okay. Yeah. No yeah. hat. Last, okay, that's Previous from our last episode. Yeah, if you, if you listen, listen <laughs> go check it out. We're on Hat Patrol, and there's no hat in this episode. <laughs> it's been confirmed. It's been confirmed. Yeah. Uh, you heard it here first. Now that we're talking about the intro, can we talk about how it kind of displays, you know, having to have respect for authority and, you know, having that single-minded mob as... You know, the, the little kids themselves have to answer to this captain that's interesting, in front of them. Interesting, you point that out. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. yeah. You should check out this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. That is a topic that we kind of touched on on the first episode. Um, in the way that we're kind of already being trained to, like, respond to a captain, right? Uh, so, it's, yeah, it's interesting you picked that up. Okay. Yeah. What else? Did you catch anything else from the theme song? Um, I, I noticed a lot of uh, the kids were almost rewarded by the, by the episode for having that single-minded mob mentality mm-hmm. that, you know, the intro tries to display. It's like, when you hear that, that theme song, you know Spongebob's coming, so you better start singing along with it to get your reward. Oh, I see. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Psychological. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of want to start this discussion off with a question. Like, so... We have this episode, it's three minutes long. I think like three minutes and some change. (laughs) It it makes you think why? Like, what is the purpose of having a three minute long episode to display no dialogue? Why? I was thinking because we were looking into this earlier too. We had noticed three episodes that came out in the beginning at the same time, the same date. It was May 1st, 1999. And so I'm guessing it might have been kind of like a filler that they wanted to throw in while they were doing... Because usually the episodes are supposed to be like 30 minutes long. 
based off of like television and everything you know throw in commercials but and each individual episode if you see it without commercials is just 10 minutes long so i feel like it was part of one of those like filler moments mm-hmm. like uh before going into commercials they're like let me throw in this little act um go go ahead i also want to point out the guys gotta remember this is before the age of digital um artwork and designs uh so it, this was for the first part um when it, when it came out spongebob was created by hand until they switched over to digital digital artwork mm-hmm. which made the, the process you know much more efficient and they could finish a whole episode of 30 minute length yeah interesting enough all these episodes were released the same day along with the first episode mm-hmm. on workers day international workers day mm-hmm. uh, which was may 1st of 1999 and so it does make you wonder like Spongebob was released on International Workers Day, right? And yeah. then it yeah. like, follows this story of, like, a worker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that, that three-minute episode was definitely, like, I didn't, I couldn't get too much from it until, like, thinking back of other purposes that could be in there. Mm-hmm. It brings me to this one main point that I wrote, which is, from what I, what I got from it, was technology in comparison to service, right? Mm-hmm. So... First of all, like, what is a clam? You know, like, Miguel kind of said it. It's like a weed, right? Which, ecologically, I can go on to say, why would you, why do we work so hard to eradicate weeds? Like, maybe it's not good for your lawn, but, like, for the aesthetic of your lawn? Because if a weed exists, it's good for the environment. But, I digress. Um, You see SpongeBob with this reef blower, and everything is just going wrong, you know? He's again doing the right thing. He bought the reef blower. He conformed to you have a good lawn. And he still can't win. Why Why do you think that is? Mm-hmm. I think I did catch that. Like, like, even in the ocean, there's this idea of, like, what the suburbs is supposed to look. That it's supposed to look unnaturally clean, right? Like, this fight between nature and, like, human perfectionist that like you see in capitalism like if there's a tree in the street it's because it was planned for it to be there with a very specific purpose and it has to look like aesthetically pleasing like a tree can't just be a tree you know the way we cover like all of our street with like concrete like try to mask as much as nature in the way that we see a fit and so i think i saw that in like the way that the pile of dirt like didn't fit in even though it's like sand and sand is everywhere but it was just kind of like no like it's not going to be in my yard. Um, and then when he breaks the leaf blower and then there's, like, dirt everywhere, I was like, okay, well, that's the, what the ocean is supposed to look like in the first place, right? Um, but, it, I, I, yeah, I guess I can't really answer your question, like, why? You know, going off of that, what made me, in, like, what I thought was interesting was how, like, even after, like, the explosion and, like, the dirt was everywhere, even though it was just sand supposed to be there, like I was saying. But SpongeBob didn't just walked into his house all happily and merrily like he didn't care that he like you know basically spread like this dirt i quote it into like his neighbor's yard and like at a bigger expense than what squidward put onto spongebob's yard so it kind of like made me think about like how people how there's one source there's people that essentially don't care about like how their other neighbors live so they're mm-hmm. like if let me if i can spread my trash over there then at least my place looks nice. I don't really care about how it affects them. 
Mm-hmm. So then it's kind of like, you know, they're just trying to, like Liz was saying, trying to just make their area as beautiful compared to everyone else's. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Was that the way you said? No, you said something a little different, but... I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I I, find, I, th- I think it's interesting you guys saw it as a, a man versus nature. I, I definitely didn't see that side. Um, but I see it now, definitely. Um, but I saw it more as a man versus man, like uh, not necessarily for, for any misogynistic purposes, just the, the type of plot structure. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it sort of as Squidward taking, um, taking his stuff and almost degrading SpongeBob stuff with uh, mm-hmm. property with it. Um, and how if you try to, you know, mess with the way things are or just destroy uh, somebody else's uh, property, um, you would kind of get that back. You could you receive a punishment for it, mm-hmm. um, whether it be through karma, like in Squidward's case, or maybe some outside influence like the leaf blower itself. Um, it's it's kind of the, the, the way I was visualizing kind of this, this scenario where it's if you do something bad, something worse will happen to you. That's interesting because that's the lesson they want us to see, right? Even though ultimately Squidward probably shouldn't have flung his clam to SpongeBob's lawn. Like, that wasn't nice. But did he deserve to essentially almost die when SpongeBob soaked up the entire ocean mm-hmm. and then mess <laughs> yeah. up his lawn mm-hmm. and then have to deal with that mess? And you know, as kids, we were like, heck yeah, Squidward, take that. That's why you don't click a clam on SpongeBob's lawn, <laughs> right? But that's. That and, and that's like really gets to the root of like maybe that's why this episode was it was to teach us that lesson you conform to how the lawn should look or you get the greatest punishment mm-hmm. I think there was also something about the the ma- machine he was using and that word suddenly became difficult to me mm-hmm. um, but just kind of like all this extra tools right that we don't need it was literally a clown like he could have picked mm-hmm. it up and then take it somewhere else um, but I think in so many of our lives, we kind of see like these convenient things, like these commodities, right? That is like, you need that, like you need that to like make your lawn like inhumanly like perfect. Um, and yeah, like those consequences is like, you know, I think I agree with a lot of what you all are saying, like the consequences that come when, when you don't follow that, like that same standard. Um, yeah. When you think about it, who's the person that got away with their lawn being clean? Mm-hmm. The person who bought the most expensive equipment. Yeah. The person who had the, the most money to invest capital mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Into, into making their property look better. Yeah. I wanted to pull out something from what you said earlier, Liz, that like how he sucked up all the water from the ocean. And like, so essentially it wasn't just like an individual problem that essentially became like a community problem because all everyone's being affected like that. I mean, mm-hmm. Patrick's literally right next door. He could have been like feeling those moments of like, yeah, I can't breathe. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like, Lynch probably didn't even consider that when he sucked the whole water in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. kind of like, let me just do what I can to make my area look as good as it could be. I don't care how it affects everybody else. And that kind of just leads into like the individual thought process that people have been like placed upon that everything's more individualized we aren't a community that way that's why we act in these certain ways because it's going to benefit us not the rest of everybody else because we're divided in that sense too yeah definitely patrick's his best friend he's gonna let him drown too well suffocate (laughs) yeah which i think unless y'all have anything else to say is a good segue into the third episode Mm -hmm. of this uh 
I guess, a trio of episodes. Um, so, uh, do do either of you want to give the synopsis of episode three, Tea at the Tea Drone, Tree Dome? Um, yeah, so I think this is... So this is the first episode where Sandy is introduced. Um, Sandy the squirrel. Yes, yeah, Sandy the land squirrel, as the guidebook said. I hated that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I think this um, this episode starts with him jellyfishing and then running or finding Sandy out in the outskirts of town, I would imagine. I don't know. And... Um, She's fighting a clam, a giant clam. Um, he thinks that she needs help, goes and tries to help, um, and she definitely got it. Um, so they become friends because they both like karate, and she invites him over to his her place, um, filled with air. So this is where a conversation around air comes up, and he doesn't even know what air is, but he's like, yeah, I love air. Uh, so she invites him over. He goes over. Um, Patrick gives him some tips on how to be fancy at her place. Um, he goes, finds out there's no air inside, and does everything sponge possible to uh, <laughs> to survive and be normal in this atmosphere that is not for him. Um, and at the end, he ends up, you know, not being able to survive. Uh, Patrick drains him in there at some point, and so they ask for water from Sandy and. Yeah, I think that's that's good. That covers it. Yeah, ultimately. So um, yeah. So I you said something a bit ago when you said I hate that. Um, you want to talk a bit about that? Uh, oh yeah, when they were talking about the guidebook. So mm-hmm. it, so I was actually looking it up right now because um, there I remember learning in core. I don't remember if y'all gonna remember that, but uh, there was this one guy who created like the first like book that essentially described what each ethnicity was like mm-hmm. and I can't remember what his name was. Foucault. Foucault. That's mm-hmm. who it was. Yeah. So Foucault did that and essentially a lot of his like rhetoric that was said in this book was very like racist <laughs> and terrible and like so that's immediately what I first thought when I saw that. I was like are they kind of like playing into that thought like there's like these ethnicities that fall that fall into these specific stereotypes and so he immediately thought when he looked it up he's like okay this is somebody i don't know this is somebody that's completely different from like who anyone under the sea let me check this guidebook and really quick and see how it describes them so maybe i have some type of idea but then i was just like what the fuck you know this is this is just as like discriminatory as because book in my perspective yeah. I think it's um, great how you bring up stereotypes because I did see some stereotypes um, in the episode as well. Um, for the main part, I kind of saw Sandy as, you know, um, someone that comes from a wealthier country, uh, that has more technology, uh, that has more, more, even more invested capital than, than SpongeBob himself. Um, whereas SpongeBob kind of seems to have to hunt for his food. You know, maybe it's going to be... Um, the the westernized man versus the uh, the native uh, savage quote unquote, um, which is what, what which is kind of like what I what I saw towards in the beginning, um, when when Sandy just always seemed to be more competent 
than whatever SpongeBob was doing. And it was almost a, a, an ongoing joke on how incompetent SpongeBob actually was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, on a, I feel like this episode in particular hit me on a personal note because what I saw um, was like, I think we can agree that water definitely represented a class divide. Mm-hmm. You know, the minute they said pinky up, like, if you can breathe air, you were worthy of being in this elite class. But definitely another side that I saw was this divide between academia and the working class. Mm-hmm. And I really saw that where, you know, in academia, whether you go to college, whether you're working, you need experience, you need a degree, you need all these things. But ultimately, you need someone to open the door to you. And you can have a combination of everything else, like, you know, Spongebob maybe knew a little bit of karate, which made Sandy want to invite him into her home. He really didn't know much, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't a skilled in karate like she was, but it was just that, that small little piece of connection. But ultimately, when he got there, you know, he struggled, and he couldn't survive because he was too scared to voice what he needed to survive. And I think a lot of times, you know, that's what happens to people, especially like people of different class, minorities, you know, me going into these spaces that were not designed for you. You don't know how to ask for help and you don't know how to say you need help when you're drowning. And we saw that. And ultimately, you know, he again, Patrick, you know, he's a hype man. We love that man. He tried to help him out and he went in there and he struggled, too. And disappointingly, at the end of the episode, like, they learned how to ask for help, but it was still at Sandy's hand, and it's still under her control, and she could take that water away, that small amount. Instead of just meeting them in the water with air, because she already has it, she gives them a little bit of home Mm -hmm. and to appease them for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... um, there was definitely a lot with the environment, right? He wasn't supposed to be there. Um, but I think it also came into, like, this respectability thing. I think you touched on it. Like, we're not... We're expected to not ask for help. To, mm-hmm. like, suffer silently. Like, mm-hmm. if you ask for help, you're somehow, like, weaker. You won't make the impression. She won't be your friend. Um, and, yeah, like, in academia, we see it. At work, we see it, right? Like... The spaces are not for us, but you just got to make it. You got to push till you literally cannot breathe anymore if it means making it. Like, find any resource you can in there, but just, like, make it. Um, and so that was interesting to, to like, see. Um, I also noticed how in this episode they really emphasized and every time SpongeBob made a movement, it sounded like a machine. <laughs> Fuck that word. I can't say it necessarily. But yeah, like literally every step he took, everything sounded like uh like it was rusty. Uh and so I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like why why does his why do his bodily movements sound like that? And I think yeah, I think that's kinda of what I got out of there, like this properness, like put your pinky up, like that's what you gotta do to, to, to be taken seriously. Uh in the space that you're not meant to be at, you know? Um I love how you brought up the workplace because I, I definitely see um, kind of bringing it back to what Alyssa was saying um, that sense of not f- feeling like you don't you if you speak up you'll be seen as incompetent mm-hmm. 
if 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 you speak up, you'll be seen as the person that oh needs the help all the time. Yeah. Um, when in reality, we're the ones we're the only ones facing that type of stuff. You know, nepotism has made it so that certain people can easily go ask for mentorship, uh, help. You know, outside outside of the, the work environment, whereas the people who might might not have some uh, the, the privilege of nepotism mm-hmm. in their company will have to just figure it out on their own. When they go home, all they have is the blue collar family that they, they, they grew up with. Whereas the people with the white collar families, white collar, white collar, kind of funny name if you ask me, people with the white collar families, they just, you know, oh yeah, he's my, he's my dad's best friend. So I could just go and talk to him after, uh, during our Thursday barbecues, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's kind of what I saw there when we talked about social classes and whatnot. <laughs> I really, I wrote about the uh, way SpongeBob went to um, Patrick for advice because, like, I I saw what I saw in that scene was basically like the dividing class structure. So it's like there's Patrick as like um, I correct me if I'm saying this wrong, the limpet proletariat, limpet, limpet proletariat, and then SpongeBob as the proletariat, and then Sandy as the bourgeoisie. So that's how type of like class structure I saw within all of like their experiences and how like they kind of like went around this in this first time each of them like really meeting each other and I thought it was um, interesting that um, Patrick provided like the same fancy advice to Spongebob before going to Sandy's home and like entering her space like he like you have to act this certain way because um, he says oh it just sounds like fanciness to me you know like you have to meet these certain while you're there you have to do these certain mannerisms to be able to like make her see that you know you're at least acting as her class in her class standards mm-hmm. oh so like you know i was it brought me back to like one of my classes in sociology of education where one of the discussions we had we literally watched a video that had to do with people taking classes on mannerisms of the upper class so even if they were in that upper class they had the capabilities and abilities and demonstrations and mannerisms of people in that class so whenever they do enter that area that um, environment they knew how to act they knew how to change from how they act at home to how they act in these higher environments because that's what class is Mm -hmm. that's what being an upperclassman is you have to follow these strict like behaviors and mannerisms to be able to be seen part of that class and if you don't then you're obviously not part of it you're excluded you're in the lower class mm-hmm. and so i thought it was really interesting that spongebob went to patrick who's essentially not have a job doesn't know like this type of class at all and was has, just chilling yeah he was yeah. just chilling you know <laughs> he's very unaware of like how their lifespan is but spongebob went to him because he was his best friend he's he like under a rock. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he like he's like my best friend's gonna give me advice this must this must be good advice because you know how much he relies on him and everything and like their friendship bond but it was really interesting that that's what I found really interesting is that the class structure and divide that I saw with seeing all of their interactions with each other and how you know you have to act a certain way to be able to be perceived as an upperclassman and then as we were mentioning in academia we have to take on that type of like mask to we to be able to fit in to not feel excluded to make them think like we belong mm-hmm. because we weren't supposed to be there in those spaces yeah and i well i think at the schools like i oftentimes like 
we feel like we can't breathe like we feel like there's mm-hmm. no space for us to just be us right like so we're literally looking for community anywhere we can find it because mm-hmm. we're just like fuck there's mm-hmm. no water in here there's nothing for us to survive with in here um and and we just kind of have to like pass through those hurdles to be accepted Oh, okay, this is one, sorry, okay, this, I just got really excited because I wrote exactly what you were saying, like, brought me back to, like, Patrick, when he got inside of the dome, he's like, what kind of place is this? Like, you know, he fucking knew this isn't where we were supposed to be, Mm -hmm. why did we enter this environment, but obviously they were trying to, um, but I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's a very, to me, it was a very strong statement. Because he was literally dying in those moments yeah. of trying to fit into this upper class. And in that moment, when they're both dying, there was a flash to when he's a starfish and SpongeBob is a sponge. And that's reality. Like, mm-hmm. no matter how hard you try, you're a starfish and you're a sponge. Mm-hmm. Like, you will never be more than that. You will never fit in here. Yeah, mm-hmm. never survive. Can we talk about how it almost looked like Sandy was purposely testing how far SpongeBob can go? Mm-hmm. It seemed, like, it seemed like she was offering that ice cold water, <laughs> pronouncing it slowly, almost in a sadistical way. I think Sandy had the touch of a uh, Karen complex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's ignorant. She's ignorant. Sandy the land Karen. Well, so she's like a scientist. She she, she should have known. Yeah, the SpongeBob would not. That's survive that's the thing. Her. So yeah. many scientists are so socially unaware that. They don't know. And that's the problem. And that's why this episode really, like, hit me. Because there, I've met so many. And, you know, like, not... Not if you're listening, Sora. Not you. But <laughs> <laughs> anyone else. A lot of others, like, scientists, even though they're female, they don't, they're not even aware that they're being gatekeepers. And they're not letting the doors that they said they were going to burst open for people open, you know? And they're conforming and they're talking about things that the men in the field want to talk about, the white men in the field want to talk about. And so, like, it's it's purposeful because she should know better and she chose to ignore it. Mm-hmm. But it's ignorant because she doesn't even, at this point, she's far gone. So she can't see her own privilege. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to mention the field you work in just so our audience knows? Oh, yes. Um, I work in biogeochemistry, which is one of the, it's a very white dominated field. There are amazing women in this field paving the way and busting down doors, publishing papers. And I don't want to diminish their work because they're, they're working so hard so that this space is just a little bit more safe for me. And, you know, that's like, I commend them every single day. And unfortunately, their work is cut out for them and mine as well. Um, Yeah. I think one last thing that I saw before going anywhere is um, like the way Sandy was found, like the clam lives there. Like that's the clam's habitat, but Mm -hmm. she was kind of like... She was fighting it. Let me fight this fucking clam for no reason. Well, I don't know what was going down there, but like ultimately the clam gets thrown out of that area and you see it in the sky, like, obviously, probably not going to survive that, or maybe, I don't know. But, like, what, what is Sandy doing here, you know? Like, she literally came to practice her karate on a clam that, like, was just chilling in her area where she lives. Um, so that was interesting. I feel like it kind of has um, game hunting um, uh-huh. vibes. 
I saw a lot of uh, you know te the Texan Texan lifestyle that Sandy chooses, um, and how kind of you know it's it's almost easy for, I guess in this way you could, you could consider the the the, the post-colonial elite um, that I consider Sandy to be, um, since she can travel the world, go to new places, um, and has the money to you know just set up anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's it's really it really puts into perspective how the post-colonial elite see the na nature around us and the animals around us that are our lives too. They, they are lives. Yeah. I have an interesting question. Um, so would you consider Sandy Cheeks an immigrant or a colonizer? A colonizer. Colonizer. colonizer? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking well, that when you were mentioning what you were saying earlier. <laughs> she definitely does not get treated like the anchovies. Let's let's not put the word immigrant in, in, a, in a position of, of lower. It, it, she is both. She's both an immigrant and a colonizer. She immigrated mm -hmm. there because immig immigration is, is a birth. You know, mm -hmm. it's moving from one country to another. She's also a colonizer. So when you become a colonizer is when you start, you know, imposing your, your power over that culture, which, which okay. she has done by imposing the, the dome, uh, you know, messing with, with wildlife, and now torturing the, the locals. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that is a good distinction to make. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because that's not really how the framework sets up the episode, though, mm -hmm. is it? Like Alma said, he's observing her. She's different. He's like, oh, I've heard about them. Mm -hmm. And the Sandy has all the right to do everything she did. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to notice, too, because she had mentioned that uh, Sandy mentioned that SpongeBob is like her first sea visitor. In the sense that, to me, it was kind of like, you know, she was choosing to isolate herself from the sea community. Like, you know, she could have easily gone out and, like, you know, made her own sea friends instead of waiting for someone to come to her. Mm -hmm. So, in a sense, like, I was kind of like, you're choosing your own isolation instead of trying to connect with the community around you. Yeah. Um, continuing that separation between her and them. Yeah. And it's, again, that ignorance, too. Like, why wouldn't a creature you met in the water need water? Why wouldn't you go into their community if you're trying to learn about sea critters? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So if you look at all three of these episodes, they aired as one episode because you know how SpongeBob gets the time slot. So it's a, it's a little bit over 30 minutes, but that makes sense for the first episode. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a common theme that ties together and recalling episode one where he gets uh, his job, episode two with the reef blower, episode three, we meet Sandy at the tree dome. Is there a common theme tying this together, or is it all nautical nonsense? It's hard to call it nautical nonsense because there are underlying themes and lessons that they want us to learn, um, but they all seem to broadcast different aspects of you know the cap the Western capitalized world, um, kind of little mantras that you should follow uh, in order to you know be successful in this Westernized world or not end up like Squidward did in this modernized world, this capitalist world. I think it's like a lot of setting the stage too. Like we now know the SpongeBob is Squidward's neighbor. We know the relationship between like SpongeBob and Patrick, like both distance wide and like friendship wise. Uh, and then they introduce Sandy as like, she lives kind of in the outskirts. So we get like a vision of like land space, right? Like how they live and where they function. We've seen the first cars. Uh, so it kind of gives us like a time period of where, when they're at. Um, 
so it set, set a lot of the scenario of like to things to be familiar with right like to things to start relating yourself to like oh well, we have cars like we have leaf blowers we're kind of like you know like it starts to seep into your own societal um, experience um, but uh, apart from that like theme wise I think a it tries to develop the character of Spongebob as like curious and like following the law but like doesn't really work out or like it, it goes to extremes you know um like friendly like it just really tries to settle his personality in this first three episodes i think i think there's there's a connection in the sense that they're all like miguel was saying they're all like going into the idea of like capitalism but also what i was saying that they're just studying the scene because this is the beginning of the show they can't do anything too directly otherwise you know people aren't gonna watch it or people are gonna be like oh that's not that's a kid's show you don't want you to watch your kids watching you don't want your kids watching because i know at one point it was kind of like oh you're letting your kids watch spongebob that's not a good show but it was also super loved <laughs> so it's kind of like very contradictory but i definitely think that it's setting a stage on the divide of the class structure how you have Spongebob, the divide of the class structure, the divide in the working class, because you see the different types of people and the types of employees they are in each um, situation, each job that they have. So it's kind of like in, in then even creating a divide within their own working class community as well and continue watching and seeing what more things we can pick out that's like definitely yeah. like, oh, that's... Um, shady shit right there mm-hmm. you know we see it now because honestly i fucking used to love spongebob this was like my shit i grew up on it i was saying 100 <laughs> percent. but now after like you know studying sociology and everything i see a lot of like the manipulation the kind of brainwashing that could occur as a child while watching this and as a kind of you know conclude this discussion of the first episode i kind of want to quote the theme song where he literally says you know, this whole, the theme song is describing Spongebob. You know, mm-hmm. he lives in a pineapple under the sea. Whose nautical nonsense be something you wish. Mm-hmm. So you're going to learn a lot about all of these different lessons. And you're going to see it work out and sometimes not work out. But you're going to want his life. And I guess as we go through these episodes, we'll figure out the ways they convince us of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not catch that. That's- Mm, I can't tell you. That's in the lyrics? Mm-hmm. Who's not up nonsense? Be something you wish. SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but I'd like to thank Miguel for joining Ooh! episode two. Do you have anything to plug? Any work you're doing? Anything about yourself? Um, let's see. I guess I'll tell a little bit more myself. I currently work in the food industry. Um, trying to you know make the food industry a little more safe for the environment um, and my plug would be Los Ingenieros organization I know they're doing great stuff over there at UCSB um, we were nationally recognized in 2019 wow, by the Hispanic professional engineers and um, I know they're just doing greater things so yeah Woo. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll work. It won't work. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice. laughs> Alright, well, uh, thank you for staying tuned for this second episode. I hope that uh, you all come back for the third one. And the ones after that, and we'll just keep going and going. And years and years and years. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, everyone, have a good day. Thanks for joining us.